Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we're free uh, to be here today to meet. Lord, there's a lot of things going on in our church family's lives. Um, we just ask you just to make your presence uh, more clear than ever to Miss Mary and the family. And Father, we just thank you that we can trust you uh, with whatever the outcome is. We ask you for uh, comfort in the Slayton family as they uh, go through the, just the things that need to be done uh, this week. Uh, help us encourage them. Father, just strengthen them through it and uh, draw their attention to yourself. And we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, we, we were mentioned a little bit last week just in preliminary about how serious it is uh, to be talking about dying uh, with your family. Uh, because nobody wants to do that, but it's inevitable. You, you need to do that. You don't need to dump that on your family. You need to talk about it with kids and help them begin to understand. You know, that's, uh, it's a taboo. Nobody wants to do it, but uh, if, if you know it's uh, inevitable, you do everything you can to alleviate any of the pressure that you can, just because uh, if you're a believer, man, a lot of the work's done for you. If you're not a believer, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, you don't have much to go on, un unfortunately. Uh, but if you're a believer, um, so just remember that. We don't know what Mr. Equipment. Mr. Equipment's pretty old and uh, don't know if he'll make it. He might, uh, but uh, you just don't know. You know, he was here last Sunday morning. Who would ever thought, you know, just in a week? Just You never know. You, you just don't. But thank the Lord Jesus knows. Um, anyway, it's good to see you all. Remember them. Try to encourage them. Uh, thank you, Kyle. Isn't that right? I'm trying to learn everybody's new names for fixing our ladies. I ought to thank him for fixing the other bathroom for us. Uh, it was cutting up a little bit, and he came by the other afternoon and fixed it for us. We appreciate that very much. Ain't that right? Yes, because we got more than one Kyle in here. Not that Kyle. This Kyle. All right? Make sure you think the right one. All right? <laughs> we appreciate that. We're continuing on in the, on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. It's both the same thing. You know, we talk about the Beatitudes, that's the first part, and then Jesus preaches about it. And that's where we are in chapter uh, 6, verse uh, 25 and following. And this is what he says, therefore. Always therefore means he's going back to what he's already talked about, and then he comes back and he's going to build on it. They, they have a, a specific term they use in the Greek New Testament. What that means, it means this, therefore this. Because of this, then this. Almost like a cause and effect. And that's what he's doing here. He says, because of that, this. And he says, I say to you, don't be anxious. Uh, don't have anxiety uh, for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than the food and the body more than uh, the clothes. Behold, the birds of the heavens that they, saw, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor they gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. I feed them. He uses me to feed them. They eat my chicken feed. Uh, but, but I'd say God feeds them. The same thing. And that's the point he's using here. Both of those, they, they're diligent. They go about it, but God makes sure that they get something to eat. That's just the way it works. Are you not much more valued than they? Do you think God thinks more of us than he does the animals? Absolutely. We're made in his image. Animals are not. They don't have the image of God. They can't correspond with God. God takes care of them. But he says, if he's going to take care of them, and they're not even made in his image, do you think he's not going to take care of you? That's what he says. And which of you being anxious can add one cubit unto your stature? 
We'll talk about that in just a minute because a lot of times there's so many different translations they try to translate. He's not saying you can make yourself taller. Okay, that's not what it is. It's an idiom, a Hebrew idiom that actually means when you look at the whole path of your life, just because you worry about it, you cannot lengthen your life stay by worrying about those kind of things. And why are you anxious concerning clothes? Consider the leaders of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither they spin. And what? And I say to you, even Solomon, Solomon the king, you know, have you ever seen a king in shabby clothes? When you see a king on something, did they have on, do they have on shabby clothes? No. He would have been the, had the finest. He said, but even Solomon and all that he has is not as pretty as those things that grow out there wild that God takes care of. He said, if he's going to take care of the animals and the, and the lilies out there in the field, are you saying he can't take care of you? That's the question. That even him does not hold a, a, a fraction of the beauty. And if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is uh, tomorrow and is cast into the oven, what happens to the grass? It dries up and it's gone. If you don't burn it, it dissipates. It's gone. He said, shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. That's what this whole thing is about. Can we really trust God? We say we trust him, but do we worry all the time about things that, well, number one, we cannot change? You know, if you can change it, you don't need to worry about it. You need to go change it. And if you can't change it, you just trust God after you're doing all that you can. Don't, you, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or where shall we be clothed? Where are we going to get something from? You know, the Old Testament says clearly, it says what? How long have I lived and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread? Now, you might not get what you want to eat, but you can get something to eat. We'll talk about that in a minute. For all these things, do the Gentiles seek? You know, if you worry about all these things, you're no different than the pagans. That's what they do. They worry about clothes, and they worry about food, and they worry about it. He says, what? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. But your Father in heaven knows everything that you need, and he's going to provide for you if you're his child, number one. I'll just go ahead and tell you, this is way too much that we won't get done today. I don't know if we'll come back and finish next week or not. I don't, I'm not sure. But Daniel puts it all on there so you can see all the notes beyond this that we'll never get to. And explains a few of these things a little more in detail than what I'll probably get to cover this morning. But he says, but if you don't worry about those things, if you'll seek Jesus and living your life for him, that's what righteousness means, that you live your life for him, what? He'll take care of everything else. He'll make sure you have something to eat. You know, it might be... Uh, it might be, be the basic Sunday. Uh, you know, you, you'll have something to eat. Uh, you know, we talk about that a little bit. We, we're now living in an age of entitlement. Where everybody thinks at 16 they're supposed to get a car. Well, the first thing you get married, you're supposed to have a five-bedroom house. Oh, well, I'm entitled. Why? why? Why do you think that? You know, well... I am not going to bend myself down and have anything left. I remember one time we were helping this guy. I didn't have a good feeling about it to start with, but we did. We tried to help him find a job, and he said, I ain't going to work for less than $10 an hour. I said, then my idea was, then you don't eat. We got you a job for $10. Oh, I'm not working less than $10 an hour. You don't have a job now? Somebody going to pay you? And you won't eat? I mean, you won't even work for that? How many of us used to work for $0.65 an hour? I started in tobacco for 65 cents an hour. Entitlement. That, and that's what he's talking about. He said, God's going to give you something to eat. It might not be what you want. There's a lot of luxuries now that we think are necessities that are not. <laughs> Did you know air conditioning is not a necessity? 
Did you know that? How many of us grew up with no air conditioning? No air conditioning at school? No air conditioning on the bus? No air conditioning at home? <gasps> I can't believe it. We can't ride down the road without air conditioning, right? That's what he's talking about here. He's going to give you something that's necessary, but be careful that you conjure up what your necessaries are. Because they might not be. And then you wonder, well, why didn't God give me this? Well, he's feeding you. You know, it might be peanuts. Well, most people can't eat peanuts anymore. What in the world happened to that? I think they... Anyway, that's a conspiracy theory. I have a lot of them. But I think a lot of them are true. They poison everything. Anyway, okay. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. Why you start worrying? There's enough to worry about today. He says, I'll help you get these things done today. Don't even think about tomorrow yet. You know, if you've got a lot of anxiety about what's going on, let's just take care of this one one day at a time, and we'll get to that one tomorrow. Why do you want to double it up? There's always going to be something to worry about if you let yourself worry about it. You know, there always is. But this is what he's saying the whole thing is, wait a minute. If you're living your life with anxiety and worrying all the time, you are not. That's an affront to God if you're his child. If you're not, his child is not. If you are, it is. Take no thought. The injunction is not designed to promote thoughtlessness. It doesn't mean that, well, we're just going to sit back and let God. That's what they used to say, right? Just let God know. You know, what he's saying is, he's not giving us a paradigm and say, okay, since the birds operate this way, nobody plant anything. Abolish farming. That's not what he's saying. The birds go out there and work, don't they? But God makes sure the worm is there. God makes sure I throw enough corn out there that those birds come and eat my corn. God's making sure of it. But they still have to show up. Isn't that something? How many, how many hunters we got in here? A lot of them. And it's always amazed me. You're sitting out there early in the morning. All the birds wake up at the same moment. If you've never been in the woods, ask somebody. It's an absolute fact. And they all go to bed at the same time. Unless it's an owl, you know, or a night bird. Isn't that right? It's just like, boom, everybody's awake. And then, boom, everybody's asleep. Isn't that right? Yes. But what do they do all day? They're working. They ain't sitting on the couch. Well, I'm going to just sit here and pray that God will give me a job. Then you won't get a job. I'm just going to pray that God's going to feed me. What are you doing out there to try to do something about it? The birds are working. But God makes sure there's something there for them. He's not, he's not creating a paradigm for us to, well, nobody does anything. We just trust God and we don't do anything. No, you ought to die. You just starve to death. That's what Paul said. Actually, if they can work and they won't, let them die. Boy, that's a, that would change the whole welfare system, wouldn't it? Huh? Really? You know, anyway. He who provides us with life. God said, if I am so concerned about you that I'm going to give you life, do you think I'm not going to feed you? Do you think I'm not going to give you something to wear? What's the most important? Life. He said, I'm going to give you life. You think I ain't going to do these other things that are important? Absolutely. If this, remember the, the, the argument? If this, then this. If the main thing is your life, and I've made sure that you can have life, you think I'm not going to take care of the little things? Absolutely. That's what he says. How much more will he also provide the things of lesser importance? If he's going to do the main thing, that's the way it is. The followers of Jesus are not to worry about needs as basic as they are, as long as you're doing your part. Now, if you're just being a bum and sorry, then you ought not to eat. But if you're doing your part, he says, the birds are out there after it, God's going to feed them. 
See how that works? You're showing that you don't have any faith if you don't do your part. You're just being a bum. Well, we got plenty of those, right? Oh, Lord, I know too many of them. Some in my own family. You don't deserve. Okay. He drives it home by two examples, life and food. He said, I'm going to give you life. He's not arguing that they should uh, quit working. That's not what he's saying. That's not the argument at all. The conclusion is inevitable. Are you more valuable than a bird that is not created in God's image? Yes. Are birds important? Jesus himself said, I see every one of them that falls to the earth. I, I recognize it. But they are not made in his image, and they cannot correspond with God and have an interaction with God. We can. If God's taking care of them, why in the world do you think if we're that much more important that he wouldn't take care of us? Right? That's the logic of it, right? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Then why is that? If your father feeds them, he's going to feed you. If he's going to make sure that they have something to wear, he'll make sure you have something to wear. It might be a croaker sack. You know, y'all went through that, right? You used to wear feed sacks. My grandma and them talked about it. You know, you get flour in the sack, and it was a pretty good thing then. So they would make a dress out of a flour sack. Why? Because they were poor. And y'all ever had to wear one of those? You know, I remember how many times did we, we went out and cut broom straw, what we called it. Y'all call it sage. We call it broom straw. Because we'd go out and cut it down and wrap it up, and we used to sweep the house with it. You did that? Yeah. I lived in the third world in South Georgia. <laughs> you know what we used for a rake? You know what gallberry bushes are? You cut them and let them dry. Man, they're as stiff as they can be. You wrap them up and you use them. That's how you rake the yard. Because you didn't have any grass because you didn't have a lawnmower. So you had to keep the grass out of the yard. Well, my goodness, that's horrible. No, it isn't. It's just a fact. You can live without some of that stuff. That's exactly what it means. In the light of the fact that we are more valuable than an animal, even though animals are important to God. We're more. If he's going to take care of them, why would you think he wouldn't take care of you? But we live like it. You know, we, we live like practical atheists because we say we trust Jesus, but we really don't. Because we got to take care of this thing. We got to manipulate the system because we're entitled. He said, oh, no, it's a front to God. If you say you trust him and you think he can't give you something to eat or give you something to wear. Constant worry about how future meals were provided. Is an affront to God. You know, anybody in here grow up without a refrigerator? Anybody? All of us have always had a refrigerator. You know, some of our, our grandfathers and grandmothers, they didn't. They kept sub down in the well. We'd drop it down because we all had open wells. You know, how many gallons of water did I drink out of one of those? You just hope the cat didn't fall over in it and drown. That's what, because it'd be a while before you could drink out of it. And that happens sometimes. You say, what? Yeah, that's a reality. The thing's open, Okay. They would take stuff and drop it down in the well to keep it cold if it wasn't salt cured or something. You know, a lot of that stuff, we don't even think about that now. That's what he said last week when, he, when we said, give us this day our daily bread. We don't even think about where our meal's coming from. It's in the refrigerator. See, we didn't live like that. We didn't live working today and make, we can enough, make enough money today that we could go to the uh, outside uh, marketplace and buy something to eat. That's how they operated. That's what it was. We don't know what that is. He's already taught us, what? Give us this day our daily bread. We already saw that. It's the same thing. His argument depends on this idea. And this is, we got to take a little sidetrack, and it takes a little bit too long, but it's important. And that is, depending on what your cosmology is, is to where you can accept what Jesus says here and really grab it. 
okay? Because there's so many different ideas about how this whole thing is. When we talk about cosmology, we, we really are talking about how everything works together in the world, how it all comes together. If you picture the world as a great big circle and we're all in it, you know, is God in it? Is God outside of it? How does that work? So when you start talking about Jesus saying, oh, no, no, the Father can take care of this. Does that mean it's already on all cause and effect? Or, so the cosmology actually affects you believing what Jesus is saying here. So we're going to do a little quick thing over that. Uh, not to insult your intelligence, but maybe you had not thought about it lately. Uh, but we're just going to talk about it. What is that? First one you could call open universe. To its extreme in theological circles now, that has gone crazy, where they say, God doesn't even know what's going to happen. It's still wide open. God's waiting to see what's going to happen. He doesn't know what I'm going to do. He's waiting to see what I'm going to do. That's hogwash. Absolutely, God knows. Uh, but in the open universe, this is the way that would work. It's a, it's a scientific term that basically means when you look at the whole universe as a whole, how all that fits together, okay? Uh, that's all it means. Now, this is what it means. Metaphysics was talking about uh, how things are made up. When you start looking at metaphysical stuff, that's all part of it, but not that. It was, you divide up the branches, and then you look at ontology, which means, you know, what is the being part of this thing? But let's get back to the cosmology. It means, how's the world organized? And because your worldview of how the world is organized, it will affect your religion, absolutely, if you are religious whatsoever. And we'll look at the first one is, you're talking about a primitive religion where they would look at this from the open standpoint and they say, oh yeah, the spirits, not even necessarily God, but the spirits are up there, we're down here, we depend on them. You know, a lot of Greek religion would operate the same way. If you were going on a sea trip, you need to pray to the God of the sea. And if you were doing this, you, they had gods for everything. So all the gods are up here, and we're down here. So we got to do everything we can to appease those gods so they'll smile on us. So our kids will be okay. So the crops will be okay. So the next tribe won't come over here and get us. You know, from a very primitive standpoint, that's kind of what you're looking at. There's a lot of people that are not primitive today. They feel the same way. You know, we got to look out and satisfy the gods, and you do all kind of religious acts, sacrifices and things, because you're trying to... <laughs> it, I thought it was sacrilegious, but it's hilarious. There's a movie, the first one, called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Have y'all ever seen that? It is hilarious. That's exactly what this is. A Coca-Cola bottle was thrown out of an airplane, hit this guy on the head, and he thought the gods had sent it to him. Well, they started fighting over it. So he's going to walk to the end of the world and throw that thing off because the gods made a mistake. That's exactly what this is. I mean, that's it. and people still live that way, unfortunately. It says, we've got to satisfy them some way. What about, the, what about Elijah and the gods of Baal? And the same thing? Oh, we got to do, we cry out to them. Why? We want them to listen to us. That's exactly what you have. The right religious practices, always. In this universe, we kind of think of it as inconceivable. They would have never thought that laws, cause and effect, was part of it. They said, oh, no, it's impossible. It's, oh, no, the gods take care of it. You can't look at this and put this together. It just doesn't work that way, all right? The second one is this, a closed universe. You have the circle. We and everything in the world is in that circle, and everything happens from the in that circle, nothing from the outside, everything. That takes place can be explained in the circle. How does that happen? <clears throat> By purely mechanical, atheistic variety, cause and effect. 
Oh, it's all in here. There's nothing outside. We can figure it all out. And that's basically, you know, that's basically what it is. There's nothing but matter, energy, and space, and, and even time and chance to them is secondary. Boy, there's a lot of people operate that way. And everything, everything, emotion, everything is by cause and effect. Is there a cause and effect? Yes. Is that all there is? No. But that's how they see it. It is not possible. It is the See, God is, science is God in this, uh, this model. And that's where we are right now, basically, in the United States. God, science is God. Isn't that right? I mean, by and large, that's where we are. So that's what you got. The third one is, the second one altered a little bit, okay? It's this. It's a little bit of improvement. They put God, or so-called God, it's not the God of the Bible, but it's the being out there. They put them in the picture just a little bit. He's just part of the mechanism. He's in the circle. He's not, never been outside of the circle. He's just inside, just part of us, you know, basically. You know, it's like some God is, God is everywhere. God is the tree. God created a tree. God is not the tree. God is not this. You know, some of them, they say, oh, yeah, God's in everything. No, God created everything and is distant than everything and sustains everything, but God is not the tree. Okay, that's what you, you see this. This is not far-fetched out there. It's where we're living. And the best contemporary of this is a cosmology found about philosophers and theologians. They love this kind of stuff, you know. And a lot of those theologians aren't saved. You know that, right? A, theo a theologian is just somebody who studies about God. It doesn't mean they're saved. It just means they study about God. They're not atheists in the sense that they deny the existence of a God, but they're atheists in the sense that they deny that there's a personal God outside of the circle that can interact with us that is in the circle. See how that works? So they wouldn't believe like we would believe in the last part of that is a biblical cosmology. They use this word God, but it's not even a fraction close to what we would define God as in the Bible. There's a lot of people talk God talk. Mormons, they use a lot of the same language we use. doesn't mean the same thing. Boy, if you haven't noticed during all this critical race theory and all this woke craziness, they double talk bad. You know what that means? They say things that we think, oh, yeah, that's what that means. No, it doesn't mean that. I love Jordan Peterson when it comes up. He said, oh, no, 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 that ain't what the word means. Let's define it. Get it right. That ain't what the word means. That's exactly what they do. They might talk a big game about God, but it's not the same thing a biblical theologian would say about God. They see reality, science, and its laws, and cause and effect. That's all there is. There is no God. There's nothing outside of us. We are. We're, we dominate everything. We're God. Basically it. And the last one would be, we would call biblical cosmology. It's a controlled universe. So when Jesus comes along and says, your father can do this. Is he outside? Yes. Is he inside? Yes. Can he go and come? Yes. Can he control things? Yes. That's what the difference is. So if you're really going to grasp what Jesus says, you have to come to understand what a biblical cosmology is, or you won't get anything about it. You would be hard-pressed to believe what Jesus says unless you understand this one. And this is what it is. Everything in the phenomenal universe is found without exception within the circle Along with every other created thing, everything is in the circle. Everything. There's nothing outside of it. Okay? And in this universe, the scientific laws are there to be discovered. We can know. We're smart enough. We can say, okay, this happened. This caused this. Absolutely. This is a given. 
God's given us the ability to see who caused it. He did. We didn't. Well, we do cause some messes. <laughs> but when you're talking about these phenomenal things that are outside, we say, yep, God is a stainer which supports principles of cause and effect. Yes. What has happened? This, 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 this. You learn that. This is part of the universe. Absolutely. That's what it is. Above the circle, which is the universe, outside of everything as we know it, is God. And because of his omnipresence, he is both outside of the circle and inside the circle. And this is the part the second, this third group can handle. Oh, no, no, no. There is no God outside that can transcend in there where we are. Why? Because if you start saying that, then you're going to have to believe there's a resurrection. There's one of those examples. How God can involve, and at any point in time, he can involve himself in this natural cause and effect that he set in place. And he can come inside and change something. It will, because he's in control. They say, oh, no, 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 no. We can't explain that. It's just cause and effect. We can't do it. So you see the circle? So when God says, oh, yeah, I can take care of you, they said, oh, no, that's impossible. He's out. There is nothing outside of us. We're the only thing. The infinite personal God cannot be identified with his creation. He's not the tree. He's not the cow. You know, bless their heart, those people wouldn't starve to death over there if they'd kill those cows running around them. Oh, we can't kill them. That might be Aunt Sadie. You know, because she came back. She's going through the cycle of reincarnation. She's trying to get this thing right. If we go and kill her now, that'd be terrible. You do understand that what's going on over there, right? They won't kill a cow. They're starving to death. But that might, why is that? Because their whole cosmology is not accurate, according to the Scripture. God stands ontologically in being over against his creation as a creator and sustainer. But that's not all. It's designed by him. It hums along because he keeps it humming along. Not because of our U.S. government. He keeps it going in spite of our U.S. government. I'm not too keen on our U.S. government. If you're in the government, I'm sorry. I've had to work with the government. I used to borrow money from the government. It is downhill. Believe me. Okay? Anyway. Because he constantly exercises his sovereignty, he's in control. So he can feed the birds, and he can feed you, and he can feed me when nobody else can explain how that happens. You know, we don't, we don't live in that situation because we usually don't put ourselves out there uh, for that to happen. No part of the system ever operates independent of him. How does the moon hang up there? I don't care what they try to explain, he's got it hanging up there. You know? That's the way that works. Well, it calls and effect. This black hole theory. How do they know all that? All that is a what? Theory. What does that mean? You can't prove it. We speculate. Oh, it's the truth. Really? How do you know? How do you know what a dog's thinking? I know he doesn't like me because he just bit me. I can verify that. But I don't know anything else he's thinking. You know what I mean. Dog whisperer. That was a joke, wasn't it? Oh, this is what. Same thing. You know, that's exactly what we do. Any instant he chooses, he can change the law. He can make the sun still. He can bring in a resurrection, which is absolutely abnormal. He's, he's, he can do that. He's outside the circle. He's inside the circle. He has part to do with it. The scientists who adopt this cosmology not only will recognize such laws and allow for divinely initiated expectations, exceptions. It's going, God can do something. We might not explain it. He'll realize, they will realize those laws continue faithfully because God sustains them. 
You know, when you're falling out of a tree, you wish that gravity doesn't always work. But does it? How does it work? Because God put it in motion. It's going to be there until he comes back. That's just the way that goes. Since divine sovereignty, and sovereignty just means control. It means if you are a child of God, and that's what he goes on to say here at the end, that we will not get that far. If you are truly a born-again child of God and you're trusting in Jesus, there is nothing in your life that can happen that he doesn't okay. You might lose your child. He has to okay it. You might, have, you might lose your mama. He has to okay it. Well, I don't understand that. I don't either. But that's the way it is. God is in control. No surprises. This open idea out of where he's saying, well, God is just still waiting to see how this thing's going to turn out. Not. That's not what Revelation says. God knows exactly what's coming down and knows when it's coming down. We don't. The Christian will hold that it is the Son. What does the Scripture say? It is the Son who keeps all this stuff in order right now. Jesus. He's behind it all. No surprises. If I really believe that God is sovereign and in control, why in the world would I worry about something? I'll do my part. I'll get out there and dig under the bushes to try to find the worm, but God's going to make sure the worm's there for me. You know, I'm doing my part. You've got to do your part. God's not obligated to help you if you don't try to do something yourself. You know, that old saying is right. God will help those that's trying. You know, he can drive you if you're moving. The cosmology must be carefully distinguished from two counterfeits. Well, we have those too. The first one is deism. You know, some of our forefathers were deists. You know, basically, they, this is what they say. God started it all, put it all in motion. Now we're on our own. He doesn't have anything to do with us anymore. We just, you know, cause and effect. He put it all where it's going to work, but he's out of the picture completely. And that's exactly what that is. That's what, you know, that's what they thought. The second one is this. They understand God's sovereignty and transcendence, but they say, oh, no, no, we don't have anything to do with science. That's a mistake, too. God gave us the ability to understand the way he made things so that we can. You know, when a tsunami happens, why does that? It's a flaw in the whole universe. Why? Because of sin. You know, what does Romans say? It says the whole world is waiting in childbirth pains for God to fix the whole thing. Sin affected everything. Everything. That's exactly what it says. That's what he means here. You don't throw science out the window. Oh, no. God's given us the ability to do some great things scientifically. Because, number one, he created the things, number one. It all still accounts for an orderly structure that God put into place, and he's going to take care of it. And if he's doing all that, we can trust him to feed us. We can trust him to clothe us. <laughs> it might not be what you want. Have you ever had to eat something that you really didn't want? My wife, she said, you acting more like your mama. Because in her latter days, she was real curious about what she ate. I don't want that. I understand. I don't want that either. And if I can get around it, I ain't going to eat that. If that's all I got, I'll eat it. But if I have a druther, I'd rather eat something else. Right? You know how that goes? But now we are to the place where Oh, heavens no, I'm not going to bow myself down to eat Vienna sausage. Are you kidding me? I'm not that low. I still don't like them. I ate them a lot when we were farming away from home. They'll get you by, right? But that's it. We think now that in the West particularly, we should have a car when we're 16. We should have a five-bedroom house the first time we get married. We should have all these things. 
Why? Why is that? So my goodness, now these things that are, should have been what necessities were, now the necessities are luxuries. Well, my goodness, God would never let me have to live there. Why not? You see what I mean? He said, I'll take care of you. It may be round steak. You know what that is? Bologna? Bologna is round steak, all right? You don't, you ever, some of you said, what's bologna? Does anyone not know what bologna is? It's not a sin, but everybody knows. The only way to eat it is fried. You know, you can't, it's, it's not raw. It's not good. It reminds me of Aina's raw. But you've got to cut that slot in it or it'll bubble up when you put it in the pan, right? How do you know all that? I've been around a long time and lived under the norm. You know what I mean? Some of the stuff we went through, some of you say, oh, I would never do that. Why? That's it. God's going to take care of you, but it might not be what you want. And then now we've gotten to the place, especially in the West, where I don't think God would want me to live that low. Why? So you're expecting more than what God says you need to survive. And God said, oh, no, no I'm going to give you what you need to survive. But, you know, you need to figure out this thing. You don't always need what you want. Hello? But that's where we are. That's where the church in America is, unfortunately. Oh, well, we deserve, we deserve this big old fancy building. Why? And owe $30 million? Why? You know, people look at us, and some of them make fun of us because they say, well, it looks like a barn. It's paid for. We, we can see about as many people as anybody else in, on Sunday after we do it three times. Right? Why? It's a lot cheaper. I think that's what you're supposed to do. You know, just because, well, anyway, I'm getting off on my hobby horse now again. I have a few, you know. Anyway, we're not even close to the end. I may come back and surmise the rest of it next week, but you can look at the notes. Because it comes down to the end, he says this. You know, this promise is to God's children. You know what that means? If you're a believer in Christ and you're committed to Christ, this promise applies to you. If you're not committed to Christ, it doesn't apply to you. You know, God said, I'll take care of you. And, you. and you look at that extreme where you see people that are actually starving to death for the gospel's sake. That is the only exception because there are martyrs that will die and they will live in horrible circumstances. That's an exception to this rule because you saw that. You know, you, we've seen it in the past and still see it in the Middle East right now where people, because they love Jesus, they're killed. Because they love Jesus, they're starving to death. Because of uh, Jesus, these things are happening to them. So what happened to this promise God made? That is the only exception. We don't know what that is. We don't live that way. We would say, oh my goodness, God would never ask me to die for him. Why? Why would you think, are you too good? Am I too good? That's our, that's our frame. So when you start to look at this whole thing and say, you know, God said he would take care of you. It might be a bicycle. He might not give you a car. He might give you a bicycle so you can. I remember reading about a guy who had been in China for 30 years. And when he came back over here, uh, all these churches wanted because he had done a lot of great things for Jesus' sake in, in China. And when he came back over here, all these churches wanted him to come. And he, and, uh, he didn't do it. He took a, he took a job in a, a, a wood factory, a paper mill for two years. He said, because I can't handle the wealth over here. 
from what I left over there to coming over here, mm, I need to get into this thing and learn how to handle that. He said, I would be spoiled completely if I just stepped right into this place. He did later serve 20 years there, had people in the ministry, his own family. But you see how that works? Sometimes it takes thinking through this. What are we expecting God to do for us? And why do we think he should? Well, I'm entitled. Why are you entitled? Are you too good to die for him? Are you too good to go with a few days without food? You know? That's what he's talking about. In the, the last part of it, he says, you know what? That's the way the pagans lived. They're worried about what they're going to eat, and they're worried about what they're going to drive, and they're worried about this, and they got two-pound ulcers because they're worrying about everything. That's the way the pagans lived. If you live that way, all you're doing is being a practical atheist. Because you're saying you trust God, but you're living like, oh, no, I, I'm worried to death. Because Why? I don't like this message. Yeah, it's kind of resting, isn't it? We talk a big game. We just want everybody to think about how should this work itself out? <laughs> living for Jesus is tough. You know what Forrest said? Shrimping is tough. Living for Jesus is tough. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you tolerate us. We expect so much that the world has said we deserve. Lord, help us be willing to give up whatever's keeping us from growing with you. Help us depend on you. Help us learn how to depend on you. That you'll be glorified. And then you could use some of the stuff that we hoard to take care of somebody else. Lord, thank you. For Jesus' blood, who covers our sins, eradicates it. Thank you for being willing to tolerate us and help us learn how to live in obedience so that people will want to know you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.